My name is Fred Rolicky. I grew up uh, in a Catholic family. Uh, we went to all Catholic schools. When I was about 15, I started experimenting with pot, smoked marijuana through high school, and then I just I went off to college. When I was in college, um, continued using drugs, sold drugs, and because of that, after a couple years, I had to drop out. My grades had just gotten too bad at that point. After that, I decided I was gonna be a carpenter, uh, still using drugs, and I went to a carpentry school. Uh, while I was at the school, I met a guy there, and in retrospect, I know he was a Christian, although he did not witness to me about it. His life was together, he worked at his church, he didn't use drugs, he seemed uh, happy about life. I just logged that away in my brain at the time. At one point I just decided I, I wanted to live out on the West Coast or just at least go visit out on the West Coast. So I hitchhiked out to Oregon and um, the last ride I got going west, someone gave me this card that said, let Christ take charge of your life. I looked at the card and something started to resonate with me. So I decided it was time to go back east. ended up committing a robbery with some other people and was put on probation for three years. And that really started to get me uh, to thinking about my life, where I was going with things. Um, at that point, a friend of a friend invited me to go to church. We uh, went to this church. It was an Assembly of God church in Boston. People seemed really happy that I was there, even though I didn't know them. For a couple years, I'd, I'd go to that church on and off, you know, just trying to, thinking about spiritual things, but really not realizing who God was at the time, not having a relationship. At one point, I was watching Pat Robertson on television, it's a Christian program. Uh, he explained how to have a relationship with the Lord. So I, I ended up kneeling and asking the Lord to come into my heart. And when I stood up, I felt like I was totally at peace. I felt like a big burden had been lifted from me. And now I realized that burden was my sin. I'd been forgiven. At that point, things really started to progress in my life. I received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And, uh, I needed a place to stay. A guy at church told me I could stay at his house for a while. He helped me get a job as a carpenter. And my life was really starting to get restored at that point. I did not have a good relationship with my father. That, that was uh, restored. Also, my mom, my mom had been praying for me. I, I never, she had never given up on me. My father had really given up on me at that point, but my mom hadn't. So that, that uh, those prayers really had an effect in my life, I'm sure. So here I am years later. It's uh, after having gotten married to my wife, Jill, in 1989, we raised a couple of kids. And I, I would just say to people, you never know what little acts of kindness or witnessing to people what effect they will have on, on people out there. So just continue to do that. It took a while with me, and it, it may take a while with these other people that you want to witness to, but just keep at it. Part of Fred's story. So don't give up on your family as you pray for them. God can bring changes in remarkable ways. And as I watched that, I thought about that moment of him standing up and feeling all that peace just kind of rush through his soul. Man, that is such an incredible feeling to understand my sin and my shame doesn't hold me back any longer because Jesus has forgiven my soul. 
Um, I, I hope you experience that peace today as you realize that you are forgiven. Uh, what an incredible thing. Uh, well, I have a friend who's going to come and speak today. Um, Brent and Bria Colby are missionaries. They were with us almost a year ago, and uh, they're from the Olympia area. And anytime somebody from the Olympia area says, we'll sign up, we'll go overseas, as a pastor in Olympia, I'm like, okay, they're one of mine. And so we're going to, uh, we just believe that we got to help them get there and support them. So we picked them up with support. They have a table in the lobby. You can go by and uh, grab their prayer card. And, and just give them any support that you can. We are so glad that they're here today. They are going to Belgium, and I don't know how much you're going to talk, but they'll be at Continental Theological Seminary in Belgium. And so um, Bria is a nurse and also a and feel like an instructor, right? A fitness instructor. So you can whip them into shape and then help them with their aches and pains <laughs> at the same time. And then Brent has a doctorate, and so he's going to be a professor at the uh, Continental Theological Seminary. So pretty cool things. And these four kids are going this radical adventure uh, with their family and with Jesus, and they're going to get to experience something totally different, something totally new. Super excited for the adventure that they're going to have international friends for the rest of their lives. So we are uh, just blessed and just so thankful to have people like Brent and Bria here. So Brent, would you come and share with us? Let's give him a hand as he comes. Can we do that? Well, good morning and thank you, everyone. Yes, we are excited to go to Brussels. We are getting so close to our, our goal. We raise monthly support to do that. And this last week, we hit 82% of our goal. So we'll be leaving very soon. And we're very excited. We, we had several rounds of interviews with the, uh, with the school to, to see if we were a fit with each other. And it was in our last round of interviews. They were making sure they had all my, my papers and transcripts to make sure I was legit. And they said, before they released us, one of the guys said, hey, pray with us. We've been praying for two years that God would send us a nurse. And Bria says, I'm a nurse. And they're like, you're a nurse? And they had this like back and forth. How, how soon can you get here? And I'm like, guys, I'm still on the call. Like, do you even need so... So Bria's going to Belgium. Yeah, she'll be going there to serve the community, and I'll be teaching as well. But we're really honored to be part of your guys' ministry that serves overseas. And True Grace was one of our first partners. And this church has always been a huge blessing to us. We have so many connections to so many of you. So thank you for your faithfulness in giving and in prayer and for just allowing us to serve you guys. So um, it's really exciting what we're about to do. We'll be leaving early summer, and we'll be teaching in the fall and welcoming a whole new class of students. The seminary is awesome. There's over 35 nations represented in that seminary. So while it's based in Brussels in Western Europe, these students, once they graduate, about 30 to 50 every year, go back to the places that they're from to plant churches and lead ministries all throughout Europe and Northern Africa. And the stories of the students are just phenomenal. So know that it's such a strategic investment into the growth and development of the church throughout a continent, a continent among whom only 3% of people throughout the continent of Europe identify as Christians today. And when you go west to places like France and Belgium, just over 1% of the people there identify as what we would call a Christian, an evangelical, Bible-reading, Jesus-following, devoted Christian. And so the need there is really desperate. So thank you guys for believing in what we're doing and believing in that message of Jesus Christ going all around the world. And we'll be talking about more about Jesus today. Today's Palm Sunday. Uh, next week, as we mentioned, is Easter. And we'll be in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts was written by the same guy. Luke wrote Luke and Acts. And in fact, Luke was the author that wrote the most of the New Testament, more than Paul, more than John. Those two books alone comprise the most words by any single author. And so he has a lot to say all about who Jesus is. And as we've been discovering through the book of Acts, we see this transition as Jesus promises the Holy Spirit, ascends into heaven, and then we see the Holy Spirit ministering through the apostles throughout the rest of the book of Acts. It's an incredible story. 
And each one of these, these stories are in here for us today as readers of the Bible to learn about who Jesus is, what the ministry of the Holy Spirit is, and what our relationship is to be with the Holy Spirit. In fact, we have kind of this big idea for the day, and it's this. When you live in the power of the Holy Spirit, this makes you an enemy of the status quo. When you live in the power of the Holy Spirit, this makes you an enemy of the status quo. Well, what do you mean by status quo? The truth is the status quo today, and we'll see it in the text here for the apostles, it was the religious establishment. It was these Pharisees and Sadducees who had them jailed and later punished. But for us today, the status quo looks, looks probably a little different than that. I would say the status quo for our culture today is, is a, a culture of disobedience. It's a culture of rebellion. It's a culture of where we are at the center of our whole lives. And the greatest thing we can do is to be true to ourselves, right? To please ourselves, to feel fully actualized, to be completely ourselves and do whatever we want to do. It's a life completely centered on me, the individual. And this is the status quo that you will, that you will be at war with if you decide to live a life empowered by the Holy Spirit. So that's what we're talking about today. You know, um, us Americans, we love a good David and Goliath story. The, the little guy overcoming the big guy. There's lots of instances in our lives where we, we feel that happening, people going against the flow. It feels like just the other day I was going to my chiropractor and this young lady was jumping a curb in the driveway and she was just gunning it and forward and reverse. I didn't know what happened. And, you know, we just like to, you know, we like to go against the flow. I think our inner rebel comes out. It's like true Americans, right? We like to do what we like to do. Uh, we mentioned my wife is a fitness instructor, and she teaches these, these classes are called Body Pump. Now, I'm obviously an athletic specimen, so I thought, well, I'm just going to go to my wife's Body Pump class. I'll probably set up in the front row, and I'll just, like, probably set an example for everybody in the audience, as well as on stage, obviously. So I remember going to my very first Body Pump class. Now, I played, I played sports in high school. I played sports in college. I played competitive, like, rugby up until, like, our daughter was one. Like, I've, I've been doing CrossFit. So I'm like, surely this is going to be a piece of cake. Well, Body Pump is one hour long, okay? There are 10 songs, and you do a workout to each of these 10 songs. I made it about... 45 seconds into the first song until I was absolutely dead. And I, could all, I, I promise I could see the sly little grin. I'm, she would never admit this, but the sly little grin on my wife's face. Anytime I'm in a body pump class and I pretend to pull a muscle just so I can stretch and like catch my breath for a few minutes. So that's my inner rebel trying to set the standard there. It definitely doesn't work. She is a, she's a machine in that room. But we all kind of have our inner, inner rebel, if we're honest, right? And the things that we grade up against tell us a lot about who we are. Often we like to make a stand for what we believe in, but far more often we are much more comfortable telling the world about what we don't agree with. In fact, many of us, our whole identity of self is defined by not the things we are for, but the things we are against. I think this is in human nature. This, this rebellious nature is just a part of us. And so what we're trying to uncover today through, the, through Acts chapter 5, in fact, if you have your Bible, open it up there. We're going to be reading in verse 12. In Acts chapter 5, we see the apostles suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. Not disgrace for their own name because they're doing what they want to do, but disgrace for the name of Jesus because they are doing what he wants them to do. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, they are able to faithfully do this. So let's jump into the text first, then we'll unpack it together. I'm going to be reading uh, first in um, Acts chapter 5. We'll start in verse 12, and we'll, kinda, we'll skip around a little bit to get, to get the, the whole picture here of what we're talking about. So verse 12 says this. 
the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. So here the apostles are doing exactly what Jesus promised them. They would receive power by the Holy Spirit to be a witness to Jesus Christ here, there, and everywhere. And so they're doing that. They, they receive the power of the Holy Spirit, and they're boldly proclaiming the name of Jesus. They're performing miracles to testify to Jesus. They're, they're preaching and teaching about Jesus. They, are, they can't even contain themselves. And it's pretty awesome. I would love to be there to see that happening in the day. But not everybody loved this. In fact, uh, in verse 17, we read about some uh, group of people who definitely did not like this at all. Verse 17 says this, Then the high priests and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. So here we go. We're preaching. We're teaching. It's amazing. And then, boom, just like that, they're in jail. But, of course, the narrative doesn't start here. But during the night... An angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. This is what the angel says. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. If I was one of those apostles, I might have been like, angel, first, thank you. Second, we might want to avoid these Pharisees and Sadducees. The temple courts is probably the last place we want to go. Maybe we should preach a little bit out of the way, or maybe we could start like a subversive underground, or pamphlets. I know, we need pamphlets. If we could just pass out pamphlets, maybe this would be a better... No, the angel said, go to the temple courts, right to the hub of all the activity of the culture of that world, of the religious center of those people, and do what? And tell the people about this new life. What do the apostles do? At daybreak, it says, they entered the temple courts as they had been told, and they began to teach the people. Man, what courage. What audacity, you know, conviction to get miraculously freed from prison and to go right back to the place where you had just been arrested to do the exact same thing that you had been arrested for, all for the name of Jesus Christ. Well, the next few paragraphs, a little comedy ensues because the Sadducees are like, okay, those guys we arrested last night, bring them in. We got to talk to them. They go to the jail. Nobody there. Crickets. It's empty. They come back and they're like scratching their heads. They're like, where did they go? You put them in. Did you put them in? Yeah, no, I locked it. Did you lock it? Do you have the key? You know, they're like, where are these guys? We just arrested them. And then somebody, it says, then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail, they're standing in the temple courts teaching all the people. So as they're like, you know, trying to figure out who screwed up, all the people that they had just arrested, they're back in the temple courts. They're teaching the people all over again. Well, of course, the, they couldn't stand for this. This was undermining their very authority in, in the society. It says, what is, it described them as being jealous. That's such a weird thing for these religious power. I mean, these were the men with all the power, and they were jealous of these apostles, untrained, just Men and women filled with the Holy Spirit, telling people about Jesus. They were jealous of them, so they couldn't stand for this. In fact, if they let this go, this was going to undermine their whole very reason for existing. And so they arrest them again. They bring them together, and they kind of start putting together a, a bit of a trial to see what, to, what they should do with these people. And if you recall, not too long ago, they had had a, a trial for another religious leader who ended up being crucified on the cross. 
So these people were facing certain danger. And when they asked them to defend themselves, Peter speaks up, and instead of giving a defense of why they should be set free or why, they should, why they're innocent or why this is all wrong, instead Peter does something remarkable. He testifies to the name of Jesus Christ. This is verse 29. Peter and all the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Man, I get shivers thinking of that. Right? He could have said anything to get out of this, to try to get his people off. No, make, I'm responsible, let them go. No, they collectively testify to what Jesus had done and that Jesus' mission was that all of Israel and beyond would be brought to repentance. They decide not to kill the apostles that day. They didn't want to start another uprising. In fact, even when they arrested them, they kind of did it on the slide because they feared the people because people were being set free from the law and from sin, and were coming to Christ hand over fist, and the Pharisees and Sadducees feared that something bad might happen to them if they responded too strongly. So instead, they decided to have every one of those men and women whipped before they were released. This was a very still severe punishment, just short of having them killed. And after this event, this is probably the most remarkable passage in this whole, whole chapter here, uh, verse 41 it says, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. They didn't stop there. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news of Jesus, that Jesus is the Messiah. Are we worthy of suffering disgrace for the name? How does the Holy Spirit empower you to stand up to the status quo, to this world that we live in that is so selfish, so self-centered? We have external forces pushing against us to behave in a certain way that, is, that goes against what we are taught in Scripture. But even more than that, we have internal forces, intrinsic forces that want us to be selfish, to be lazy, to be disobedient. How does the Holy Spirit empower you to push back on those forces, both internal and external? I believe if we look at this passage closely, we see a couple points that I think will help us realize this and act on this very idea today. First off, again to repeat, the status quo that we're talking about, this is rebellion against Jesus. Okay, The Holy Spirit empowers us to fight against these forces. Now, a lot of us like to, you know, the, the us and them, and we like to pick an enemy out. We like to, well, it's, it's this political thing, or this social thing, or this, this pop star's latest music video, or this mega corporation's agenda. Like, we like to be able to see our enemies. We're not very comfortable with enemies that, that live in the spiritual realm, especially as Westerners. It's kind of countercultural to the way that we view the world around us. 
But listen to this. This is Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. We're reminded this. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We cannot forget that this world that we are lived in is not just a playground for us to enjoy. It is also a battleground for us. The things that you will face up against as a Jesus follower are, go far beyond the physical world. They are spiritual in nature. Yeah. And for some of us, we're like, ah, okay, but that's so weird, right? But I can't, I can't see it. I can't really believe in it. And if I start looking for devils under everything, you know, what if, what if the whole world is against me? You know what? And, and surely, we need to be careful not to just spiritualize everything, But we need to know that there is a spiritual realm, a a reality that is spiritual that has to do with your soul, your eternal being, and that we are at war. The whole world around us would would love nothing for more than for us to just go with the flow, the status quo, to make sure that we are happy and fat and pleased. And if we never logged off of Netflix or Amazon, you know, shopping carts again, like that would be the world's dream for us today. And yet we are called to do so much more than that. You know, I think the greatest lie that this generation has ever been told is this, to simply be true to yourself. I mean, think of all, all the, the values that we have today that just run counter to Scripture. So much of it is rooted in us just being true to ourselves. Do whatever you want. Be whatever you, you think you should be. And it has nothing to do with the Scriptures that we read in, in the Bible or, or acknowledging Jesus as Lord and Savior of our life or, or acknowledging that we are in need of redemption, that we are sinful and fallen people and without Him we can do nothing or that we are too weak to overcome these external battles and these internal battles and it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can do anything of value in this world. This is contrary to our culture today. And this is hard for us to wrap our brain around because we just don't always see it with our eyes. Here's another takeaway. We must obey God rather than others. The easiest thing for you to do is just to go along with what everyone else tells you to do. To stop and to think for yourself and to think, you know, remember those wristbands? What would Jesus do? Okay, it's a good, good question still, right? What would Jesus do, you know? It's a good question to ask. We know Jesus by reading his scripture. We can discern truth by being in a community of believers, by having men and women more mature or older than us that we can ask, that we can talk to. We pass that down as moms and dads by bringing our kids to church and and making sure that they can have experiences with the Holy Spirit, that they can meet Jesus face to face. We do this by serving, by being involved, by not being strangers, but by showing up and being counted among those who identify as followers of Jesus in a community of followers of Jesus. This is incredibly important for us to do. We must obey God rather than others. Jesus reminds his disciples of us. This is Matthew 16, 24. Jesus says to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. And this is interesting. He draws this this contrast. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. And rhetorically he asks, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? We must commit to following one master, one king, one God. You know, we don't worship idols anymore. I doubt any one of us here has a real problem with idolatry, right? You read the Old Testament, 
Israel, the Israelites, they struggled with this. They would like hide idols under their bed and mattresses. They'd bury them. They did. They would make them like, you know, Moses disappeared for a while and they're like, well, better make an idol. Like that was like a serious issue back in the day. Okay. Making idols and worshiping idols. We don't make physical wooden or golden things and worship them anymore, but we certainly still have idols. You know, we idolize the, the news or news junkies or television or sports or entertainment. Most of all, we idolize ourselves. We worship ourselves. And you think about how much, you know, what resources, what time, what money, what energy, what emotion do we spend on just taking care of ourselves instead of taking care of others and and the people around us? You know, we still struggle with this today. It just looks different than it ever has. And I love this commandment. And whoever wants to save their life will lose it. It says, take up their cross and follow me. Jesus doesn't say, take off your cross and fix all the world's problems. Take off your cross and, and fix every government that's broken. Take up your cross and, and like, you know, he doesn't give us like a list of the, you know, here's the, the top 100 things every, Jesus, every follower of Christ has to do to be obedient to Jesus. We're just told to follow Jesus. So often as Christians, we, we, out of an effort to really want to do a good job at this, we start adding rules and layers and stipulations and, and guidelines and boundaries and curfews and all these things we want to do because we want to really define what does it mean to follow Jesus. Jesus tells us himself, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We make being a Christian sometimes so stinking complicated, it's intimidating for even, even senior saints. are like, I can't do this. It's too much. It's exhausting, Right? You ever felt, I'd like to go to church, but wow, it's way too much work. That should be the opposite feeling of what we're feeling here. You know, we should be coming here and we should feel, we should feel in like, like a burden's being lifted off of our shoulders. We should feel empowered. We should leave smiling. You know, we should, we should, this should be a place where we leave more encouraged. Um, I've, I've been able, in all my studies and stuff, I've been able to do some like interesting research and work with people who've done some interesting research that centers around the church. There's one church I work with. They did this study. It was kind of creepy, but I want to tell you about it. They did this. They set up cameras outside of the main auditorium doors, and these cameras were set up to a computer that would discern the level of joy on someone's face. Basically, on a scale of 1 to 10, is this person super grumpy or super happy? And the whole research was set up on this. What was the average mood of everybody coming into church Versus the average mood of everybody leaving church to try to measure some sort of very difficult thing to measure, like were people encouraged coming to the service? Well, that's a dumb project because we all know to get all your kids to church in the morning, you're going to be in a bad mood, period, right? (laughs) Give me one hour away from my children who I love. Love you, Adelaide. Any of my children, an hour. Like, I'll be in a much better, I don't care what's, I could be mowing the lawn, doing the dishes, right? If I get an hour break, I'm going to be much happier, you know? But there you go. There's, there's an effort to try to quantify, you know, joy that we should be experiencing as we encounter Jesus and who he is. Our command is simply to follow him. And here's the thing. The Holy Spirit empowers us to do this. This is not something that you are required to do on your own strength. This is how it all connects and comes back around. The Holy Spirit is a gift from God for those who obey him. We read this two weeks ago, Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Peter explains, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's that simple. Believe in God, and a free gift for you 
is the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome any opposition you might face as you pursue a life that is focused on following Jesus Christ. You know, this whole Luke, all through the Gospel of Luke and through the book of Acts, we see Luke just showing this incredibly clear picture of who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is, and how the Holy Spirit empowered his followers to do amazing things for Jesus. It's a picture of true love. It's a picture of true hope. It's a picture of true grace that we might receive the gift of God and go do likewise end of this passage, the apostles rejoiced because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for his name. That's crazy. They rejoiced. This tradition of rejoicing at suffering, it didn't just end with the apostles. If you read a lot of the writing of very early Christians, Christians who would eventually spread uh, all throughout Europe, northern Africa, through what we call Asia Minor or Turkey today. The Christians all the time, we have all these writings preserved about these, these priests who were just longing because they hadn't suffered for the name of Jesus. They like went out of their way to suffer. Sometimes creating suffering out of thin air just to say that they suffered. Depriving themselves of, of food and, and even suffering physical harm. Why? Because the suffering they knew was so good for the soul. Why is suffering good for the soul? Because when we are wholly dependent on God, when we are wholly dependent on the strength of the Holy Spirit, it transforms us. Now, I am not telling you one moment to go out there and, and make yourself suffer for no reason, right? That's not it. Don't beat yourself. Don't do all that weird stuff they did. They took it too far, okay? Don't take it too far. Um, but do know that when you count on Jesus, you put yourself in a place where you can grow that is impossible to, to see otherwise, Spiritual resistance is an indicator of your obedience to God. A lot of times, our culture teaches so other than this, the exact opposite of this. If you're seeing opposition, you're doing something wrong, so make your adjustments so you don't see opposition. Just go with the flow, right? That's the the truest, purest way. But Christianity really teaches something different. When you face spiritual opposition, it's an indicator to you that you are doing work in an area that probably needs work in your life. Growth hurts. Have you ever worked out before? (laughs) Growth hurts. I don't care if you're working your biceps or if you're trying to run longer or whatever sport you're doing. If you have a good workout, you're sore afterwards. There's a a part that's just painful. But if you continue to be faithful in that work and you continue to grow, what happens? You become strong. You know, the spiritual analogy there is true. If there are areas of your life that need some pruning, or maybe more than pruning, they need a drastic surgery. The moment that you step into that place and allow the Holy Spirit to begin transforming you, I can guarantee you one thing. It's going to hurt. You are undoing years of work that you've built up in the wrong way. You know, is it little pruning? Is it a little fixing here and there? A little trimming around the edges? Or is it major surgery that your heart needs? When you say yes to God, when you are obedient to Him, the Holy Spirit will reveal those things to you. And internally, you have to reconcile that. What do we do when we face fear, when we face opposition, when something hurts? We run away. We don't want anything to do with that. Today, I want to encourage you to lean into this. 
to not resist growth. We need to celebrate that tension that we experience when we obey instead of rebel. When we seek being healthy instead of being content to just be sick. When we pursue discipline rather than self-gratification. Patience rather than living our life in a constant hurry. Purity rather than perversion. Generosity over greed. Mission over simple idleness. I guarantee you if you pursue any of those higher virtues, you will experience resistance in your life. The only way to have victory over each and every one of those obstacles is to rely on the Holy Spirit to empower you to do the work. Why? So that you can tell other people about Jesus. We saw a testimony today of men and women who simply were living their life out in obedience, pursuing excellence, doing whatever they could to be filled with joy, to be filled with peace. And the testimony stuck in the mind of our brother here. So that years later, when he was reflecting on his life and the lives of those whom he had met, he recognized that there was something different about someone who was living their life for the sake of Jesus instead of living their life for their own sake. And if we can make that same transition, if we can live those same lives, it is incredible to see what God will do through us, through you. Not for your sake, but the sake of Jesus. So for some of you today, I say this. It's time for you to pick a fight. You already know what it is. Most likely it's in here. It's possible it's out there. You need to stand up to some injustice. You need to speak the truth of Christ over someone in love. But what is it? Are you willing to suffer disgrace for the name? The name of Jesus. Are you willing to submit to the power of the Holy Spirit in your life to allow you to be transformed, not just for your sake, but for the sake of Christ, for the sake of others? Why? Because Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost. God, we love you today. We love your word. We're so grateful that we can sit here in this book of Acts and that we can see the obedience of these apostles in just remarkable ways. God, we invite the Holy Spirit into our own lives to empower us to minister like we read about in Scripture. As surely you are in this place today. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would, as we spoke about last week, convict us of sin. God, before that we talked about, I pray that we would be living in the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would hunger for your Holy Spirit. Jesus, just as you promised that the Spirit would be working in us and through us so that we might Tell the world how awesome you are. Let us live on mission and not in idle. We pray this together in your name. Everyone said, amen. Amen. Can you just give him a hand for uh, a moment? You know, as he was talking, I was thinking about if, I, if we spend our entire lives avoiding pain, our faith will never be active. If you spend your day going, how can I make sure it's the most pleasurable it can be and the least amount of pain, your life's going to end up one big failure because pain is a part of a healthy life, isn't it? Everybody's going, I don't know about that, Pastor. Um, man, I was just thinking as he was talking, like, there's going to be pain in this life. And that's why it's so important that we don't stop and go, well, my finances are good, you know, my health is good, my family's good, my marriage is good, and my faith's not good, but everything else is good. Listen, if your faith isn't good, you've missed the whole point. 
You don't want to get to the end of your life and go, yeah, you know, my, my house repairs are going well and my relationships are good. And go, yeah, except for God, I, I missed the point of faith. And Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom and then let everything else be added unto you. I want to ask if you'd stand to your feet where you are. Um, I want to take a moment and pray with you. Um, the resurrection is our celebration this week. And we are going to celebrate next Sunday. And I don't want to pray for this church. I want to pray for the church. And I really want to pray for the church in Thurston County. Brent was sharing me before the service as a missionary. He's visited 70 churches recently. And I said, man, how, how are those churches doing? A lot of churches struggling with attendance and finances and discouraged staff and all that stuff. And he said, remarkably, the church is resilient. And so I want to pray uh, for next Sunday here, but I want to pray for Thurston County. What if hundreds of people decide, you know what, I'm going to give my life to Christ and begin serving Him. It could change the city. And I want to ask this for a moment. Don't just listen to a pastor pray and then go, okay, now we're going to go home or go do whatever we're doing here. Would you stop for a minute and think about this? Have you invited one person to an Easter gathering? Because I want to tell you that over half of the church today doesn't ever invite anybody to church. And I think there's a lot of people in this town who'd appreciate the invite. They might say no, but they'd say, hey, at least take care. And some of you might come. And I can't control, you know, some years I've invited eight people to Easter and one showed up. Some years I invited people, nobody showed up. But I'm never going to be guilty of not inviting someone. Because I believe the Holy Spirit's going to be here in a powerful way next week. And so can we pray for the church all across Thurston County, for your neighbors, your friends, your family as well. Let's pray. Lord, this week is going to be an incredible opportunity for the kingdom of God to move in Olympia, Washington, and the greater area. And so, Lord, we pray your anointing upon the gatherings next Sunday. God, we pray for the Good Friday services this coming Friday. But Lord, most importantly, we pray for those invitations and those opportunities where people are looking around, understanding my life, something's missing, there should be more. And God, I pray that everybody in your church would invite someone, would minister to someone, would let someone know you're welcome to come with me. You're welcome at my church. And Lord, I just pray for just a move of God, a move of the Holy Spirit that starts on Easter. Lord, the world has been through so much. The church has been through so much. Lord, let this be a season of favor and blessing. And Lord, let every new believer, that every person who comes back to the Lord, that rededicates their life to you this coming week, let them be the ones who remind us of the peace and the fire and the excitement and the faith that we can have in you. So God, even now, would you challenge us to be in prayer, to be ministering to someone, to invite someone, and God, to see your a hand moving in our lives this coming Easter in this county, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, if you are one of those ones that prays for our missionaries who are close to getting out in the field, would you stop and grab this card from their table in the lobby? Just let them know you appreciate them and you're praying for them. All right, God bless you. Have an incredible week. We'll see you on Friday at 7 or Sunday morning, 8, 9, 30, or 11, 15.